It sounds like piss to me. So I thought I just yelled piss and I was like, okay. Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. I am Bethy Squires, and with me as always is Thomas Grabinski. Thomas, how's it going? It's going so well, Bethy. Thank you for asking. And with us today is Casey St. Ange, a TV producer, a writer, a co-host of Busy Phillips is doing her best. Casey, how's it going? It's great. Thanks for having me. So we're going to get into... Uh, a favorite topic of yours, Prince, and the films of Prince. But before we do that, um, we ask everybody on the podcast, Casey, uh, have you watched a movie at a bar? Is that an experience that you enjoy? It's something that Thomas and I bonded over. But some people are like, why would you do that to yourself? Listen, I, it's been a long time since I've been to a bar. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people haven't been to a bar in a long time. I guess I must have watched a movie in a bar at some point. Not one that I can specifically remember, but I will say that of all the things you could watch in a bar, that's probably one of my top things that I would choose to do in a bar. I'm not a sports person. I don't really love to listen to a band in a bar. Sorry. <laughs> I know that's practically like un American to admit that, but I'm just like, ugh. Like, Yes, I would like to watch a movie in a bar. I'm sure that I have. I'm sure I'm certain that I because I, I'm sure I've been to a bar around the holidays and like It's a Wonderful Life has been on the TV. You know, I will say the only time that I've seen Purple Rain is at a bar. I think actually at like a music venue and like the bar attached to it was playing Purple Rain. So that's my only experience of that movie. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. I have a lot of experiences of Purple Rain, but I think the one that was my favorite was seeing it at Hollywood Forever. Not long. It was amazing. And it was not long after I'd moved to LA. uh, And it just felt like such a rapturous communal experience. Everyone was standing up and dancing by the end. And I'm like, I always liked this movie. And I love Prince. But this is this is a special way to see it. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. After he passed, I saw it um, at a movie. They had an event in Terrytown, New York. I saw it there. And that was really interesting because I think they were doing a movie series at that theater. And so a lot of just a mix of people came. And I think there were Prince fans, but I think there were a lot of young people that had never seen the movie at all it was their first time seeing it it was so it was very interesting they had big reactions to everything like people that had never seen it so that was interesting like laughing in some spots that i didn't particularly find funny and then being (laughs) very shocked by a couple of things that i was like oh that's not that shocking if you think about like what movie we're watching but i also (laughs) saw it at the wiltern theater which was great because the wiltern was the stand-in for seventh avenue it was the the exterior like uh the the foyer yeah. of the well turn was was the purple rains seventh avenue the, uh, um you know first avenue sorry first avenue seventh street entrance uh yeah 
That's anyway. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I didn't realize the Wiltern was was where that space was. Have either of you been to First Avenue in Minneapolis? Yes. Yeah, I've been a few times to like see some shows, do like a daytime tour, some dance parties. Yeah, First Avenue is it's kind of an incredible place. We took a tour there one time when we went to Minneapolis mostly what I remember is like that Minneapolis is like you know it's a it's a city so it's like you're it's on the city block and it was very hot but also very windy so everyone in our tour group just had like um like a grit stuck to their like faces (laughs) (laughs) because it was like we just had all had like the city of Minneapolis like blown onto our hot sticky faces before we went in but it was really cool because we got to like sit in prince's like little chairs where he would sit that was like the manager's booth and then we got to see specifically where like a soundboard was marked for his like levels for instruments and all that kind of stuff so it was pretty exciting for me that's sick my my First Avenue memory is pretty visceral, which is in 2016, I saw Slater Kinney there when their reunion happened and Girl Party opened, which is the group Lizzo was in then. It was like a really sick bill. But before that, I had some ravioli that destroyed me. And I had to run up a down escalator at Target to have diarrhea. Uh, And while it was happening, uh, a man woke up in the stall next to me and started screaming. Uh, And then the whole night I was at Slater Kinney, I was waiting for the return of the ravioli. And it was thankfully out of my system. But just for the the real heads out there who... (laughs) Ravioli is revenge. (laughs) Ravioli is revenge, yeah. Uh, We love diarrhea on this pod, even if we've never talked about it. I think that... You know, I think we're we're big fans of the human body and all the wild shit it can do on this podcast for sure. Literal wild shit. <laughs> um, and anyway, but, but we're talking about Under the Cherry Moon tonight because it's a little bit more of a deep cut. It is one that at the time was not critically well received, even though the soundtrack obviously was like Kiss yes. fucking came from here, but people weren't. I maybe just weren't in the right headspace to receive it. All I knew about it was the GIF and that people didn't like it. And yeah. That's the object, GIF? I strongly object to. There's a GIF. Uh, are we describing the GIF? The um, GIF it's the, is it's at the, the one where Prince is like kind of like making like a sexy face and he has like the swirly hair and he's like biting his thumb it, yeah it takes place at yeah the it's when he party. first like gives fuck eyes to Kristen scott thomas and it like yes. zooms on him how have that I gift was like that? really making the rounds are you, maybe you're just not in like a lady thirsty area of twitter <laughs> enough i was gonna say people are people aren't hitting on you via gif i guess that that's what i think is usually the um the impetus to send that to someone is that they're saying like that's hot what you're saying uh, what a what a crushing way to learn that no one has ever flirted with me online. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. I watched Under the Cherry Moon and had a great time. <laughs> um, yeah, it really wasn't. Uh, it wasn't well received. You're correct, Bethy. Um, I have my suspicions why that is. I think it's probably racism. Is probably what was 
really holding that film back. Not maybe not solely, but I think when when you think of the time and you think of the movies that were appreciated in that time, movies starring pop stars like Madonna that were pretty well received, I think, you know, to me, you look at the difference and you're like, oh, people weren't having this from a black man. When was the first time that you saw this movie? Was it in theaters? I don't think I saw it in a theater. I know that I saw because I I don't think I would have been old enough to go see it in the theater. So um, I saw Purple Rain in the theater because my dad took me on a visitation. And that is such a you, um, such a story that so many people my age share is that we were like the divorce generation. And so we, you know, everybody who was like a 10, 11, 12 years old at that time, so John, the actor John Ross Bowie, that mm-hmm. we have the same birthday and we have the same story about making our dads take us to see this on a visitation. And so we're like, we're like basically siblings pretty That's much. That's a classic fun dad move. I love that. <laughs> because like it, it was so inappropriate and you need it. It was rated R. And so you would need an adult to take you. And what more perfect adult than like a guilty dad who's going to be like, yeah, anything you want. I've missed the last three visits. So let's definitely go see Purple Rain. And then it was so like, there were just so many parts where I wanted to unzip my little tween skin and run out of the theater because it was so embarrassing to be there with my dad. But my dad was pretty chill about it. But so Under the Cherry Moon, I didn't see in a theater. I must have just seen it on VHS, like when, you know, when it came around. I will say, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but it bears repeating. Uh, I saw maybe the first R-rated movie I ever saw in theaters was with my dad, uh, and it was Scary Movie. Uh, So, like, I was sitting right next to my father when that guy nuts so hard that he plasters on a Ferris to the ceiling with, like, prop jizz. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's, well... Listen, I I can't say that Purple Rain wasn't as bad as that. There's a lot of um like just like crotch rubbing and boob rubbing of Apollonia and a lot of like disturbing kissing. He had become a better screen kisser by Under the Cherry Moon, but I I'm going to say and like I never I am never critical of Prince, but his on-camera kissing is comical. <laughs> I will say one of Colin's notes, uh, producer slash husband of the podcast, Colin, um, when we were watching it together, he said, you need to tell the people that they're both so hot, but they kiss weird. <laughs> yeah, he you should definitely go back and watch the kisses in Purple Rain so that you can appreciate the improvement by the time Under the Cherry Moon comes around because the Purple Rain kisses are just like all I can just feel their teeth hitting each other, you know, like it's not it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> I, uh, it's not good. I had no context for this movie, even as someone who likes Prince and who loves Purple Rain. I, for some reason, thought this predated Purple Rain, that this was like a warm-up. But no, it it postdates Purple Rain, and he directs it. And it's a, kind of a vanity project, but a really fascinating one. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's so interesting to me. If you're a big Prince fan, you know that he loved old movies. 
we talked about it's a wonderful life that's also on my like list of top five movies of my lifetime that is also a was a favorite movie of his i can see influences of it's a wonderful life in under the cherry moon i think we're also he was also a huge fan of valentino i think you're you're seeing that there he name checks valentino in a number of his own songs and songs that he wrote for other people so i think you're he was a fan of old hollywood old movies and like that sort of like not a buddy comedy but like a screwball comedy and so that's what under the cherry moon is to me like it's a screwball romantic comedy that is I don't want to say timeless, but it's (laughs) out of time. It's out of time. Yes, because there are certainly things that were modern at the time, but it's in black and white. And it is really a nod to these to this bygone era of of comedies. And so, yeah, I think it was it was really interesting to me. And the fact that he directed it, he was he was a kid like, you know, he was he was not yet 30 when he directed that crazy yeah you know he how old was he exactly actually let me i'm gonna look it up because i want um i think that the i think the the fact that it's sort of out of time that it is nodding a throwback is one of the other things that held people back besides racism like i think the fact that he's not given as much leeway to do to go off is definitely a product of racism but the way that he went off towards old timey like an a nod to classic cinema like there's like five times where people are on board with that in the entirety of cinema it's like the artist which is and bad. Some other ones. under the cherry moon <laughs> is considerably better than the artist <laughs> wow that's but people get so mad when you do like a classic hollywood throwback most of the time like pennies from heaven or like I'm trying to, like, there's, like, other examples of, like, what I really want to do is do a nod to classic cinema, and every time the viewing public is, like, jerk-off motion, jerk-off motion. What's that Soderbergh movie, The Good, is it The Good German? Is that what it's called? The the black and white? Yeah, the sort of notorious, like, Hitchcock nod. He's, He's so good, and that movie just, like, doesn't really work so i guess that doesn't support your argument and it's also a tangent sorry how old was prince when this movie was made prince was 28 years old when he directed this film and uh yeah so he was uh he had never done anything like that he was full of confidence and the thing that really strikes me is like this was um on location in france that they made this movie so it wasn't like he he's not a kid that like went to film school in la and like made you know this is like he's a big deal pop star this is his sophomore effort after he'd won an oscar for the soundtrack for purple rain and um and so i think initially they had hired on another director and uh it wasn't yeah they had yeah and it wasn't working out so prince was like oh shit i'll take it over but just thinking of like how i was when i was 28 like i don't know that i'd be directing a film in another country of you know a a fully foreign country but so that's very interesting to me and i think it's i think it's a really beautifully shot film i think it it looks 
great. Everyone looks gorgeous in it. Everyone who's meant to look gorgeous in it. Everyone who's meant to look like a monster looks like a monster. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, when it came out, and again, I was, I was young, so I don't remember this. I just know this from like being a fan and looking back. There was only, I think, one critic in the entire country from the village voice that was like, this film is great. Like, (laughs) it's, it's good. You know, here and, and really like gave it, in my opinion, of course, I would think this, in my opinion, <laughs> a fair shake. And, uh, and pretty much everyone else in the country hated it. I, this is my favorite kind of episode of this show because you're coming to us with something that you love that has a negative reputation and you're really passionate about it. And, and I think obviously me watching this movie, knowing I was going to be talking to someone who loved this movie, knew that there was something there to love, but immediately I was struck by the compositions you know it's not it's not someone trying to make a classical movie where they're just desaturated like it's it's not just desaturated the compositions themselves are very artful the opening of the movie sort of directly visually references Casablanca it's it's a it's a very accomplished movie in its construction and I think there's a camp quality to the performances that I think people can't wrap their heads around in the context of those compositions and ideas but it's a pretty cool movie well, I think the reason people have a little bit of trouble with the camp is, and that happens, right? Sometimes people don't recognize camp and they are like, this is like, what's happening here? Like, they don't recognize camp. I don't know how that happens, how you can not register that like, oh, this is intentionally funny. But I think also you have this figure who's like this, like, sexy pop star and he's kind of known for being like a bad boy (laughs) and in purple rain for like whatever level of sophistication you find purple rain to come in at it was there wasn't a great deal of comedy in the movie other than more say in the time jerome benton who is also in purple rain who's a prince's sidekick in under the cherry moon um those guys were funny but prince was fairly straightforward serious and and not kidding around in purple rain so then to have him doing comedy I think was like maybe caught people off guard. I think that's another place too where race is coming in as far as like not being able to like, I bet some people can recognize the camp and maybe they feel like they can't access it because so much of the moments of comedy in the movie, especially the moments of comedy performed by Prince are him laughing at white people. Yes. (laughs) Like having a nice key key with his friends at the white people and like the, just being laughed at like that, I wonder if that hits some people the wrong way. I think so. I think like for the most part, all all of the humor in the movie comes from it's it's Prince and Jerome Benton playing these partners, these like they're they're gigolos basically in France. And their characters are Christopher and and Tricky. And <laughs> <Great> uh <name. laughs> really good names. And all, almost all of the comedy between uh, uh between the two of them and uh them like doing comedy sort of outward to the other characters is rooted in their blackness and like a culture that they understand that like yeah i think like there's probably like a little bit of white fragility played into like yes i don't like to be laughed at and and then just also like 
an unfamiliarity that I'm still hearing today. Like when people are like, oh, that show seems good, but I don't understand a lot of the the references or whatever. And then I'm just like, well, uh, okay. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> But this was, you know, this was a while back. So, so it makes sense that that was probably the issue is probably people were just like, I'm not really getting it. And also, like, I would say, seems like you're not really trying to get it. I think like with context clues, any any white person could appreciate the humor in Under the Cherry Moon. But that's just me. The movie opens with an extremely funny line, which is, once upon a time in France, there lived a bad boy. Uh, and I was like, whoa, this this is a sick movie. Uh, I, I don't even need to watch the rest of this to know it fucking rocks. <laughs> Let's just talk a little bit about the overall plot. Um, as we said, this movie... So once upon a time in France, there was a bad boy, a gigolo named Christopher Tracy, and his sidekick gigolo, Tricky. <laughs> and Tracy is kind of get- growing weary of the game. He wants to land the one big fish. Yes. And he decides that it will be the the heir to this gorgeous fortune, Kristen St- Scott Thomas in her first role. Uh, and she has a name in the movie, and it is... Mary Sharon. Mary Sharon, thank you. She's amazing in this. She's amazing. I believe, I think she was maybe 19 years old. Holy shit. I want to say. She's very young. She she had been, um, we're going to, we'll get back to the plot in a second, but I just want to say, like, she had been doing theater in France in French. Like, that was her passion, was doing French theater in French. And she had done this, like, like, touring thing in the south of France, and that's when she got the call to audition to be, like, one of the girlfriends in the movie. Like, right. not even the lead, not even Mary. But she she did so well that they were like, do you want to just be the lead? And they were like, I thought you had a lead. It's like, yeah, we, we can't. It's not going to work. The scheduling isn't going to work for the person that, that Prince wanted. So come do a chemistry read. She meets Prince for the first time like freaks out has an audition and then like that day she has the lead in her first film ever yes i want to correct myself she wasn't 19 she was in her mid-20s but i believe one of the leads being considered was madonna whoa and also one of the this is here's where it gets complicated i think also in contention was prince's girlfriend at the time Susanna (laughs) melvoin who was the identical twin sister of his guitarist, Wendy Melvoin, who, like, if we want to go really deep, but this is beside the point, I believe that Wendy Melvoin, his guitarist, was the, like, the love of his life in, like, a, a, a romance that could never be because Wendy is obviously a lesbian woman. And so, but, but that's a whole other podcast, <laughs> but. It was- <laughs> should we just do a Prince series with Casey? Should we should we just veer off into Prince Town for like five episodes? Where I just episodes? read my fanfic about about Wendy yes, and Prince we'll, we'll and do, how we'll all write thesis papers about it and have a symposium. It'll be really great, guys. There are Prince symposiums that already exist. If you'd ever like to attend with me, I'll Incredible. I'll I'll let you know when the dates are so that you can put it in your cal. I forget we're having a, that we're recording a podcast right now. I feel like I'm in a in a class that I should be paying for, learning amazing things. Oh, uh, that's. I mean, listen. I feel like 
I have gotten such an education from so many people. Like I, I think of so many people as Prince scholars because mm-hmm. they just like people that love him. They just know. So, I mean, well, we know Questlove and Anil Dash and all of these people are just, they're amazing Prince scholars. So. I feel honored that you feel like you're learning anything from from this. <laughs> I want to shout out um, the episode of Hit Parade about Prince. It's Prince and Tom Petty together looking at how they both resisted record company structure and yeah. like took control of their own careers at a time where people did not want to let them do that. It's really yes. incredible. But we're back to a plot summary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plot summary. Sorry, sorry. Mary Thank Sharon. You, <laughs> Mary Sharon is having her 21st birthday a lavish party in Nice, France. And Christopher and Tricky crash it. Sparks are flying. The gif happens. The vibes. Uh, Mary is immediately distrustful of these two men because she feels that they are gigolos. And she is not <laughs> wrong. But that doesn't mean they're not fine people as well. Sex work is Fun. work. These are nice boys. <laughs> and then there's like, there are complications to the plot, right? So since... Tricky and Christopher Tracy are gigolos. They are, they have been, um, doing business with wi- high society women. Christopher is a pianist in a number of beautiful establishments where he's meeting these women. And so, of course, there are, uh, friends of her parents, of Mary Sharon's parents, who are at her birthday party, who are women that that Christopher and, and Tricky have associated with. And one woman in particular that Christopher is having a relationship with, an ongoing relationship with, probably one of his uh, most lucrative partnerships. She is a friend of Mary's mom and dad. And also Mary's dad is having an affair with her. So that, so again, screwball comedy, all kinds of, you know, crazy mix-ups, three's company style mix-ups and misdirects. But in the, at its heart, it is a very much an enemies to lovers story where Christopher thinks that Mary is stuck up. Mary thinks that Christopher is shallow and not here for the right reasons. And they're both right. And then they both, they come together and figure out that, oh, they actually are really have a lot of sexual compatibility. They never, I feel like they never truly like each other, but the sparks are flying. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. I, I think. Well, it's interesting, right? It's it's like Mary is leading a very protected, sheltered, some would say, uh, overprotected. Yeah, <laughs> I would say that. Uh, yes, uh, life where she's she's cloistered, you know, a poor little rich girl, right? And um, she has her beautiful Chanel clothes and her amazing bedroom, but she's basically locked up in it, and so. Christopher and Tricky are like she's obsessed with trying to bring some culture to them and they're obsessed with trying to bring her down to their level where she can like really cut loose and have some fun and her wealthy father who doesn't really care about her that much but he's also obsessed with controlling her um, isn't having any of it because she's engaged to another man another man who's like assets complement his yes. assets well and it's more of a business deal than it would be a marriage and he doesn't want her to screw the deal more exactly. than anything else exactly and that for me is where i really see the the it's a wonderful life reference when 
Mary is in, not engaged, but she's kind of uh, arranged to be with Sam Wainwright and and George Bailey comes over to her house while she's while Sam Wainwright calls on the phone and they have a three-way conversation that to me that phone call that happens with with Mary and her fiance Jonathan and Prince is trying to mess up the phone call kind of gives me that it's a wonderful life vibe and so Mary's dad fucking runs this town he's like a shipping magnate so he owns the <laughs> coast guard essentially <laughs> Yeah, he owns everyone. And so he has these, like, thugs who are constantly trying to ruin the three-way dates that are going on between Christopher, Tricky, and Mary. Yes. Uh, and, you know, eventually, like, the vibes are stronger between Christopher and Mary than uh, Mary and Tricky, even though there's, like, more companionship and amiability in that relationship. It's like the sparks yes. are too much with Chris and Scott, Thomas, and Prince. So they sort of choose to elope sort of just get away in a car because they want to have a fight away from the mom and in the end the goons shoot christopher tracy he dies mary uh, is like it's deuces for you dad never talk to me again i'm giving half of my fortune to trick you to buy an apartment building and becoming my own woman and everybody is made the better for having known christopher there you go that's that's the whole deal. <laughs> <laughs> Along with like a killer soundtrack, which is the Parade album. Yeah. If you're familiar with Prince's discography at all, it's um it's not really like a full soundtrack because there are some songs from the movie that aren't on the album, but it's the Parade album. After watching the movie last night, I've been listening to that record all day. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so good it's so good i mean girls and boys the song that he he like i just love the whole scene that takes place in the restaurant when they when she takes them to uh what's it called la pavillon and um <laughs> and the whole bit with them him writing on the napkin and asking her what it says it's so weird it's that's one thing I love about this movie. One thing I love about any movie in general is a movie that has the courage to do something weird and that people might not necessarily get <laughs> um, or that might like require people to get on board to appreciate. And there's just so many weird little moments in this movie that I really, really appreciate and find very funny. Yeah, I would say weird is a great descriptor for a lot of stuff that happens in this movie for me that's always a good thing too yes i love when people uh are making big swings and choosing to do something wild one moment that really stuck out for me is a scene at christopher's one of christopher's clubs where he's playing piano and it does a oneer 360 and then it goes like another like 100 degrees or so after that it's like a 450 pan across the nightclub it goes over it like almost twice yeah like get the I whole scene it's so cute i love that scene because if you watch it really carefully you'll see that every couple they're panning around the tables to the couples and every couple kind of has something going on like one couple's in an argument one couple is having a romantic date it goes on and on. Everybody's doing something different. And then the second time they go back around, every person is doing the opposite of what they were doing. It's in so the first... funny because it's like, because it's that thing that people 
always say about like or like when you when you try and do like a oh france they're always like angry and then kissing so it's like the (laughs) couple that's fighting when you pan the second time they're kissing and the couple that was kissing when you pan the second time they're fighting it's incredible yeah a good old slap in I didn't I didn't notice that because I'm an idiot. And I also wonder if maybe the consensus, the kind of dismissive consensus around this movie informed the way that I watched it. I, I, I enjoyed watching the movie, but maybe I wasn't attending as closely as I would have if someone was like, no, this is a good movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I am really proud of... I'm proud of that little guy. Um, I think he... I think that... He was making a first movie, and obviously it was a big deal, and there was a lot at stake. And I'm sure he acted super cool every day, but I have to think that anyone would be nervous trying to do something that they'd never done before. And even at that, I think that like something like you were just describing, Bethy, like that pan around two times around, like he was such an artist that he was like, yes, this scenery, it's so beautiful. It's worth going around two times. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's worth it. And like, I'm not going to rush this. I feel like a, a novice's instinct would be to rush it, right? Because like, who am I to take up all this time and ask people to look at this? But he, he didn't feel that way. He was like, no, let's like, let's do it. And then we'll, um, you know, we'll flesh it out with the little stories that are playing out for every couple. But it's like this location and this scenery is so beautiful. It is worth like, what would you do if you went to the middle of that restaurant? I would probably turn around twice. I would at least, you know, so um so i'm really i'm proud of him and i think that like if i had one quibble with the movie is that a lot of the little more old-fashioned kind of jokes that they do like trying to do like physical comedy or whatever they weren't expert at that and so i think they could have tightened it up a little more like i think a lot of them were like a little too leisurely those physical bits but um but that's not really i don't know it's not really on him it's like an editing issue i think they could have been tightened up a little more but also like when we're talking about like how campy it was that I don't think it ultimately matters because like you get the point and you know the ones that are funny like they land for me something that I kept <laughs> when watching the movie I would just sort of like turn to Colin or like just shout at the room some people just aren't ready to have fun and I was like <laughs> when I was thinking about like the the film's like poor reputation I was like okay yeah some people just don't like fun and that that's their journey I guess <laughs> but like part of me was like the the hairs are standing up on my back. I get I get weirdly defensive of of camp movies like we've done Batman and Robin before too. It's like there's certain yes. movies like that where it's like a very distinct vision, a very intentional visual style, visual language, and like a more sort of a contrived script. Yes. And I I fight fucking hard for those types of films. Yeah, because it's like you're they're doing something. They had a goal in mind and they like set out to to achieve that goal and they're doing something. I always want to ask people like it's Batman and Robin or it's like a pop star is making 
uh, a mo- what did you think it was going to be? I I don't. Why would you? Why would you watch Prince's directorial feature and expect it to feel conventional and straight lace? Like like why yes. why would you want a tonal familiarity? I like that the movie is kind of uncanny because it speaks to this way that he's this larger than life icon with a very distinctive presentation, and and the movie reflects that. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, if we're being generous, I think that maybe seeing him be uh, humorous and wear this sort of like avant-garde clothing, which they comment on in the movie, like they, you know, he he wears a tuxedo to this restaurant and Kristen Scott Thomas's character says, oh, you have some normal clothes. And he's like, Hmm. you know, okay, thanks, whatever. Um, I think that just seeing him having fun and and being like his his fun self maybe caught people off guard. I don't know. And I mean, he was just you guys are younger than I was than I am. <laughs> you guys are younger than I am. No, we've and, up. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was just such a mysterious figure that nobody knew what to make of him at any time. So it was always like like this is a thing like I kept my love of him relatively quiet because like you know my family would be the type of family to be like i read in the inquirer that you know he lives in like a dungeon and you know whatever like he was always just the type to have people like saying like he's a recluse and he drinks blood or whatever they were making up about him so i think like nobody ever knew what to make of him you know particularly back then people were probably a little you know he refused to uh, participate in We Are the World, you know. <laughs> but it did so much good. <laughs> Nobody's hungry anymore, remember? <laughs> uh, but yes, I do love those. Did you guys? What's? I want to ask you guys a question. I want to. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite like funny moment from the movie? Did you have a favorite funny moment? Do you want me to go? I have an answer. You you can yeah. go first because I have a couple, Bethy. Yeah, I think I also have a couple, but I I loved uh, when Tricky said, I'm my own man, just like Liberace. <laughs> <laughs> that really struck me, as well as earlier, much earlier on in the film, when, when Christopher says, I don't do anything professionally, I do everything for fun. I was like, that's lovely. That's like more like clever than funny. But the moment where Tricky's like, I am just like Liberace because I'm an independent man. I was like, okay, (laughs) go on. (laughs) I love that. I got to be honest, my favorite uh, moment in the entire movie is a weird camera move that I think Prince thinks is very funny, which is during the opening sequence, there is a zoom over a fountain to the word niece. But I think he thinks it's funny. I, I think it's like the Zoom is arriving at the word nice and he's laughing. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. That is my feeling. And that is like my favorite tiny formal goof in the movie. I love that. I love that. One of my favorite jokes in the movie is um, Christopher and Tricky are having like a, a philosophical talk about like Christopher's like, if you love someone, you can never be torn apart. And he he's trying to be really philosophical. And um, he's asking Tricky, do you love me? And Tricky's like, I mean, uh, you know, like, and he's like, no, but you know what I mean? Like, do you? Are, do you love me the way that I love you? And they go into this little um, cafe, this little like, I don't know what the, it's a restaurant yeah. and uh, they're eating 
and they're like eating like like dudes you know like like friends eat and they're continuing this discussion and tricky is like they're gonna they're gonna kill you if you try to keep you know coming after mary and christopher says i'm not afraid of that i'm not afraid of shit and tricky says are you afraid of bats and they just look up and there's like bats in the rafters of this restaurant and they just fully scream with food in their mouths like a club sandwich hanging out of prince's mouth and run out of the restaurant and i'm like why did that happen but it's so funny and then the entire restaurant also flees including the goons who were watching them but it's like like 60 people run out of that cafe screaming and the cafe and the the camera holds on just the doors as like (laughs) Like, so many people run screaming out of this restaurant. Also, wait, I don't want to be annoying, but I think the line is even funnier than you read it, because I wrote it down. He doesn't just say, I'm not, like, I'm not afraid of that. I ain't afraid of shit. He says, I'm not afraid to die. Yeah. I ain't afraid of shit. I ain't afraid of shit. It's so much more dramatic, even, which makes what you're describing funnier. You're right. And he is like, but yet afraid of bats. But I am spooked out by these bats though. <laughs> it's so funny and it just like really speaks to like like Prince is so baroque, right? More is more. So they're looking, he's looking as a filmmaker for a way to transition out of this like restaurant scene and it's boring to just walk out, so why don't you fucking scream your head off about bats and everybody runs out. You know, that's like so much more memorable than just being like, well this is a nice lunch to your colleague and then and then walking out you know um i love that part i also love (laughs) there's a scene where um he's going to try to connect with mary at her mansion but he doesn't really know what her bedroom is (laughs) and so he climbs up a ladder and asks tricky to keep a lookout and tells him you whistle four times if if anyone's coming and um so he sneaks into this room and of course it's mary's mom who's like has taken some sleeping pills and so she's communicating um and i like this is here's prince here's growth for him right because he didn't actually go all the way with mary's mom and i think that uh prince of purple rain era who knows what would have happened <laughs> but like it stopped short like it, they're uh he he's coming out of the room nothing's happened but it was weird but i just love when tricky says you did it to mary's mom you did it to mary's mom (laughs) and that and that the dad does come in and she's like primed and so like yes because she gets her dad laid (laughs) because she was like high and she thought that it was her husband and and it was dark so prince thought that it was mary and then tricky saw mary come to her window so he realized that (laughs) prince was in the wrong room and then the thugs are coming and i love that they're about to get their asses kicked but (laughs) tricky can't resist being like you did it to mary's mom (laughs) is it is is it tricky or prince who gets the line you selfish son of a biscuit eater oh that was prince okay that was prince yeah yeah there's just a lot of like there are a lot of those like very very memorable turn of phrases like when he says that mary has no home training um you know that's that (laughs) which is so funny to me because she's obviously like so cultured and like all she's had is home training but not (laughs) not the kind that he's looking for i also love that weird moment again like i love that scene during mary's birthday party when she's on the phone with um her fiance and prince is just 
just eating grapes and trying to like, you know, throw her off her game. And then they, after she hangs up, they sort of get into it. They're like Sam and Diane thing that they have going on. And Prince storms out, but then he turns around and spits on the floor and says, <laughs> that's what he said piss i it sounds like piss to me so i thought i just yelled piss and i was like okay pits <laughs> and i like that he's just like because to me that's him saying like you think this is such a fancy party and your grapes have pits you're an <laughs> animal <laughs> you have seeded grapes you cretin <laughs> speaking of mary's party her entrance is incredible where she just takes to the steps and like disrobes and is like, I'm wearing my birthday suit and then <laughs> ties it back up and goes to a gazebo where there's a drum kit and she just does like a, a little drumming. Just a little drumming. And the moment of Chris has got Thomas being like, rock, rock, you just can't stop. Was <laughs> that, that was like, okay, I understand what movie I'm in now. I, we're here. I understand. We're here. The movie is just. It's like a continuum of iconic moments. Like, I think there's (laughs) an argument to be made for, like, a a real iconic beat every minute of this movie. I think so. All the little kids in their, like, new wave makeup. There are so many, like, jaded French children at that party. (laughs) Yes, like, trying to sneak wine and who knows. And, and like, pretending to have affairs with each other. Yes, and like hitting on older women, and there's there's also you know animals, a cheetah, elephants are all part of the entertainment. It's fascinating. It's it's beautiful. I w- I want to be at that party. <laughs> I think the movie does a good job, and I think in general, Prince does a good job of fully realizing Mary as a character. Like Prince is known for like his Svengali thing towards Prince women. But, like, Mary is just, like, an incredibly, like, vivid person. Like, she's just full of life. Yeah. The whole movie. Yeah, well, she comes to life as a result of, you know, being around these guys who are different. Uh, Finally, some, like, variety in her life, you know, and, and... I think that's really evident in the in this restaurant scene where they take out a, a boom box and, and, you know, and she's so excited to dance. Not only her, everyone. It seems like the whole town of they all France boo is, when it stops. Yeah. And Prince has also another one of my favorite lines where he just yells party poop <laughs> 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 to Mary's father for breaking up the party. Casey, who is your favorite Prince girl? Like, I feel like Prince is almost like James Bond and that he has these, like, there's, like, Bond girls and there's Prince girls. Who's your favorite <laughs> Prince girl? <laughs> That's a really good question. I've gotten to um, meet some of them over the years. It's interesting. They are all, they all have a special place in my heart, honestly, because I think they kind of were muses to him and brought different things out in him. And so I have a special love for all of them, but I really do. She never was a Prince girl, but Wendy Melvoin mm-hmm. is my favorite foil to him because I just think that, I don't know. Oh, God. Okay, so I'm going to recommend something outside of Under the Cherry Moon. Okay, so a couple years ago, Prince's version of Nothing Compares to You came out because his estate was putting out an album of songs that Prince had written for other people, uh, originals. And so the estate also put together a video 
of rehearsal footage of Prince and the Revolution to go with his version of Nothing Compares to You. And so you can see him there alongside all of his band members at the time. But there is just something about the way that he looks at Wendy. And you can see it a little bit in Purple Rain, but I think that's much more controlled. It was fictional film. But this is like actual, just actual rehearsal footage. And there's just something about the way that he looks at his friend, who I know was amused to him in so many ways. And he's just so impressed with her. And I think he's just so excited to like have her there. And she is like, I feel like he really met his match in, in Wendy. Like, I think she went toe to toe with him musically. I think she had a sort of similar sense of humor. I think she just understood him on a level that I'm not sure, um, many, many people did. And I think she was really forgiving of his faults. And I think that, like, to me, it's really obvious that she loves him to this day. You know, they, even though they had their like rough times and went their separate ways, they also, came back together often enough that I think that they just had a really special relationship. So she's my favorite. And also because, I mean, they were never romantically involved, you know? So it was just like, it's, it was like minus all the bullshit. It was just like pure and and true, their friendship and their partnership musically. Your passion for this subject is making me want to go down a rabbit hole and and, and watch (gasps) all of this and read all of this. I want to feel the chemistry between them that that you're explaining to us if you want to really like here's a nice bookend you can look up that video for nothing compares to you that the estate put out which is just found footage and then you can um find a video of prince and wendy alone performing on tavis smiley's show which is interesting and it's just (laughs) it's just the two of them performing this song that like i can i can hardly like i can never make it through watching them do this song together and you can and this is you know that's when they're young and everything was amazing and this other thing is like after a lot of bad stuff has happened between them and they've gone their separate ways and then he's called her back like hey will you do this performance with me on Tavis Smiley <laughs> so weird to me they were buds I guess I don't know and it's it's really really incredible and it's just such a nice bookend and I think like really illustrates like just the amount of care that they had for each other you know how you know it's like the meme like get you someone who looks at you like that like yeah. I think that it's that exists for a reason because it you just you can see it right you know you can see it when somebody looks at someone like wow they're really something you know when my son was a little kid he told me that he thought that the secret to having your having a nice picture taken of you was to have someone that that you really loved take the picture because you'd see it oh on their face that's so beautiful and and i think true that's so cute so yeah, so I think that that's that's what you see with those two. They just like lit each other up and you know, and I think understood each other. I'm not like I think she understood better than anyone his shortcomings and she still like cared about him deeply despite all of them. Um I'll say uh not to get too schmoopy or whatever, but uh <laughs> Oh no, I love this. We're getting schmoopy. <laughs> I'm having That's a great snoopy. time. My my college roommate Steph uh, said that she knew that 
my husband Colin was into me because he she could see him finding me in a crowded room. Like I could yeah. I would I never would like be there to observe it, but she could observe him finding me and seeing mm-hmm. his eyes turn on, like light up in that way. Uh so it's like, no no no, this is you're you're well in because he like flips a switch when he sees you. Ah, <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it doesn't always have to be romantic. Sometimes we just have people that like really bring something out in us, you know? And and that's what I think was well, I think I also think he loved her a little bit, but, <laughs> but you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> this is this is nice. We're, rarely on this show do we just sort of talk about really pure expressions of love and admiration. But this is nice. I hope that someone who's listening to this right now thinks about a person in their life who brings that out in them. Uh, I hope so too. Like, who doesn't want that? But don't crash your car thinking about uh, this. No, no. Yes, please. (laughs) Please don't. Don't fall down any (laughs) That would be too arch. Only if you're in the south of France are you allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah. Too arch. (laughs) That's one thing we didn't talk about is like we talked about how beautiful the scenery was, but also just like the costuming was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The everybody looked gorgeous. Like that white coat that he's wearing when he goes to sort of try to get her not to go on the plane, not to fly to New York. And she's wearing her deplaning hat. She has like this giant, <laughs> like Edwardian <laughs> hat on yes. to get on the plane. I'm like, yeah, I would too if I had a private plane. <laughs> yeah. And then her mom, it's so funny because her mom is not wearing something fabulous at all. She's just wearing like office attire, I feel like. But yeah, all of the characters who are supposed to be fabulous, you know, they're really like, again, like kind of, of a time but also out of time and timeless the fashion but that white coat for me is incredible the um the polka dot dress that Kristen S- Scott Thomas is wearing mm-hmm. in the in the restaurant uh which i believe is by Chanel but also i'm going to go out on a limb and say hand picked by prince because he was a big fan of polka dots and it's like uh, semi sheer too like you can yes, see the lining it's incredible yeah, she has that like a black chemise on underneath. Um, yeah, just all as a uh, as a great lady once said, beautiful gowns, <laughs> gorgeous gowns, beautiful gowns, gorgeous gowns. Speaking a little bit about the timeless quality of the movie and Chanel and the South of France, I think something that works in this movie's favor is that for Americans living like Americans in the South of France, I feel like always has like a semi tragic tint to it oh interesting but i i think i just think that because like the peak of americans living in france was right before world war ii and then they all had to flee so there's this and then like one of the most like iconic stories about that time is tender is the night which is again very sad very gorgeous gowns very sad right and so i think setting it there like Something about the South of France is always, like, 1938. Like, it's looming. It's present. Right. Like, the, the the notion of doom and gloom, it's a very memento mori location, I feel like. 
Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And it, what's funny is that, and I've, I've never been to that area of France or France at all, but I do know that Prince fans make sojourns to these locations all the time and they all look exactly the same. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. So I'm, I'll, I'll be tagged once a year in some Instagram photo of somebody who's like, I'm at the restaurant on, you know, uh, on on the coast of France that, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And right at the beginning of lockdown, I when I was taking, like, my daily, like, walk through the neighborhood that we all allowed ourselves, yes. uh, I was listening to a book called Chanel's Riviera, and it was about specifically this time in France where it was, like, British people, American people, and French people were all moving to the south of France because it was so cheap at the time. They were essentially gentrifying the south yeah. of France. Yeah. Um, you could have, you could live for so, like, you could, the, a two bedroom apartment in New York could get you a, like a three to four bedroom villa in the south of France at the time. <laughs> wow. So everybody was just fucking off to France and ignoring the rise of Hitler. <laughs> and so it's just like the book, it was this incredible book because it was like, the story about all these glamorous people and all the parties they had, but then there's this ticking clock in the book. And then so the last mm, fourth of the book is who fled, who didn't get the chance to flee, who collaborated. And like, because that area also became a place where Jews fled because when they were fleeing Germany, they would flee to the South of France. And then they went from the South of France into Italy because Italy at the beginning of the war, when Italy was still aligned with Germany, there was this, like, belief that Hitler would respect Mussolini's fascism and, like, not try and do ethnic supremacy stuff in Italy. So a lot of Jews fled to Italy. And then that didn't go great. Because that was not how it shook out. So, like, to me now, ever since then, the south of France is this place of of glamour and tragedy and exodus is like all really wrapped up in it. And even today it is a place where, you know, you have Cannes, you have like this, like really like Monte Carlo, there's this like gorgeous, beautiful, elegant, glamorous vibe, but it's also like this huge tax shelter where right. people bring their like blood diamond money. And then there's all right. these guest workers. And it's also a place where like boats, boat people will, flee to so it's always has this like tragic under it's not even an underbelly it's like a tragic like patina on the beauty right oh that's so interesting and it's obviously like well again like in my limited knowledge of this area i feel like they they put so much emphasis on like weird decorum that i'm like that seems like a weird thing to like worry about what kind of shoes people are wearing but that's what i always hear like <laughs> there was a a brouhaha over what shoes someone was wearing in in the south of france and i'm like oh okay i don't oh, weird yeah there's like rules about what shoes you're wearing to the topless beach yeah yeah it's i don't know i don't know but it's it's very interesting to me that it seems like sort of like old fashioned and and that that's the focus but man is it beautiful Bethy, that historical context, if you uh, if you studied with my film theory professor in college, I feel like that would be a springboard for a rich semiotic analysis of uh, the cherry moon. Uh, I think I think you would reclaim this movie as a rich academic text. I mean, it's all there because you also have like 
black performers in France, like traditionally, yes. are there to flee American racism. And because right. they're immigrants, they don't encounter French racism because they're like beautiful curios. But then the French are very racist to their own people of color. So it's like fascinating <laughs> how those things overlap. Right, right. And there and while there's yeah, because there's not really like that's not part of the the subtext of the film necessarily. Their differences are certainly mentioned and I think that it's made clear that like the characters don't understand the differences in each other's culture, but it's I don't think it's really that anyone's looking down on anyone's culture. I think they're looked down on because they're gigolos. <laughs> like that's, you know, that seems to be the main problem that that people have with them. And I don't even I feel like weirdly like well like you probably would feel about like handsome young gigolos i think it's that they're like women are so enchanted by them and entertained by them that you know i think that's the real problem is that they're like you know getting drawers as they say (laughs) (laughs) yeah and getting paid for it i think that uh that mary's dad would be upset if anybody that he didn't approve of was going after his daughter i think i don't know if he would send the goon squad after somebody who doesn't have if it was somebody of like their same class who had certain protections they probably wouldn't be getting the goon squad treatment but he still wouldn't love it yeah yeah and that is also one of my favorite little moments in the movie which is kind of weird kind of funny but also i think tells the story really well where mary who when she's upset with christopher she says that this this woman that that christopher who's like christopher's been having a relationship with this woman for pay and this woman who's friends with her parents and her father's having an affair with this woman she says oh she wants you to meet her at her house at seven o'clock and christopher's like why would she tell you that and she's like well because she knows that you know because we're friends and and she knew that i was going to be seeing you and so he drives up he sees a fancy car in the driveway he really loves the car he's like gets out and sits in the car and then when he's like poking around in the car he flips down the visor and uh mary's dad's license falls down and so he realizes that it's the isaac sharon you know this this super rich guy who's like the father the evil father of the girl that he's kind of talking to and also having an affair with this woman that he's having an affair with and then so he goes up to the door and yells up uh <laughs> yells up like hey isaac you know put a pillow under her ass she likes that <laughs> <laughs> and leaves the champagne that he was planning to to share with the woman that is like a very he just yeah he just he's trouble christopher's trouble he's a bad boy that says <laughs> he's so a bad no boy as they said right in the beginning of the movie but that made me laugh. It's just like his body language, like his choreography when he says put a pillow up under her ass. And I don't it's hard to describe what he does, but it's very funny to me. <laughs> it's very like Little Richard choreography. <laughs> I don't know. It's very funny. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's just so like he he does seem like he's not afraid to die because it is always like being very audacious, like really like laughing loudly at this woman in the fancy restaurant that she invited him to. 
Because right, you can't right. understand that he wrote record store. <laughs> Recasto. I mean, that's that is also like a bit of weirdness. Like it doesn't exactly make sense why he'd be making her read this and and try to guess what it means or whatever but it does make sense you know because there's not just one way of talking right and there's not there's not one way of being cultured and so that's like the point that i think that they're trying to make that they have rich lives as well and like you know just because they don't have the same experiences as the people around them that they're they're interesting and they have you know but it's it's told in like a joking way but that's it, it's it's strange. But I think it also makes like a good point. I love that it has a callback because later he writes "fuh you" on like a was it a check on something to her dad? It was a napkin. It was a napkin. A napkin. <laughs> it was a, uh, tell him it's Chinese, and he just runs away. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, I thought you were talking about the napkin. Oh, yes, no. he wrote he wrote that the dad had like offered him money to stay away from his daughter and that's how yeah that's what he wrote on the check yeah but he had written recasto on a napkin which w- later when she she's kind of lonely and locked in her room she calls him on the phone and uh he and tricky are again like both listening in on the phone and she has that napkin with her so clearly even though she was humiliated by that moment she kept the napkin as like a souvenir wait but she also has in that scene the coolest radio i've seen in my entire life yes <laughs> the neon the neon radio and the neon telephone which are those elements that are like of that time yeah um and and we know prince loved loved him some neon so who doesn't? <laughs> he actually has a song, Neon Telephone, which I feel like is probably, yeah, just like a little a little love song to that phone. <laughs> I feel like we, we're getting close to the end, but I feel like we have to talk about that this is the film that Kiss came from, but then yes. Kiss itself became known much more for Pretty Woman. Yeah, I mean, well, Kiss was just like a massive hit and remained uh, like a such a favorite for for prince i spent many years working for andy cohen at watch what happens live and one of the things that i loved to do was um when it was andy's birthday or whatever get him something it was always a challenge to get him a little gift because you know when you're like famous people just give you expensive shit that's like what they but that's never what he liked like he he again loved appreciated like weirdness and offbeat so that could also be another podcast like gifts that i tried to get for andy cohen (laughs) but um And he knew that I loved Prince so much. And that was, uh, that was something that he talked to me about often. And he said, he told me one time that Kiss was his favorite song and, uh, of Prince's. And I was like, yeah, it's like, it's such a classic and it's so great. And so one year, actually the year after Prince's death for Christmas, I like went on the dark web. <laughs> it wasn't really the dark web, but I made a lot of inquiries so that I could find something that I knew happened in his final shows that he performed in Atlanta. Prince sang Kiss. And instead of saying, you don't have to watch Dynasty to have an attitude, he said, you don't have to watch The Real Housewives to have an attitude. (laughs) And I was like, I know somebody out there has bootlegs of this. I have to get it. So I ended up like eventually scoring. It's all out there now. Like it's so all out there. But at the time it was hard to get. So I ended up like making uh, making scary promises to someone who gave me an MP3 of Prince (laughs) saying, 
singing you don't have to watch real housewives to have an attitude but kisses like it's such a great song i feel like that's the song that comes up the most if i'm at like a random dance party of princess like if i'm at an 80s night it's let's go crazy but if i'm just at like a generic dance night it's kiss it was such a different song i think and and it still is it's it's like so great to play at a party because it really breaks things up it's like it's just one of those things where it's pavlovian everybody gets up you can't help you can't help but kind of like get a groove on to that song it's such a good one it's true i think we did it this has been fun yeah this this was uh... a great time i'm glad you guys had fun i had fun too i sometimes worry that i'm like way too into prince and like i'll just wear someone out so i appreciate you guys giving me an outlet no this this show is specifically for like we talk about one of the categories that we like to do is movies that you can't shut the fuck up about after two drinks (laughs) and you know I think the only, one of the few times that I've matched like your energy on as a, a host of this show, yeah, was the Breaking Dawn Part One episode. So like, this <sighs> Prince is more important than yes. Twilight, but I get it, and this is a safe space for that level of intensity. <laughs> I, I'm I I'm that. I'm floored by it. There's nothing I enjoy more than just listening to someone talk about a thing they love, and so this was a rush for me. Ah, uh, that's so nice. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm here for it. I, you guys are so great. I'm so, I'm, I'm such an evangelist for this movie that I'm just really, really excited that I got two people to watch it. Three. So, oh yeah, husband because your husband show. also watched it too. Yes. Also, and my, my cat watched Tuba it. watched it. So that's something. There you go. That's like, that's all we could ask for. Prince loved cats. He would have been <laughs> psyched by that. Yeah. I think I, I'm just so happy. I'm, I'm so happy whenever, whenever anyone gives it like, a fair shake, I feel like. <laughs> because it is one of those things that I pe- I think people kind of like love to hate. And I'm like, do you really know like what you're like, do you know what you're hating? What is it that you hate about it? I turned into like a a, a reply guy on the <laughs> <laughs> where I'm like, debate me. What is it specifically? <laughs> Cite your reasons. No, no, no. Hold on, milady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to set up a town hall for you to defend under the Cherry Moon's <laughs> honor after this. I will happily do it. And I think that, uh, yeah, you know, I, I maybe like maybe now's the time. Maybe we're in a place where where we can appreciate this and appreciate what he was trying to do. Maybe we have the language now to to say what we like about the movie instead of, you know. Like out of the context of of a young pop star making his second movie and deciding to direct it and everybody not being ready for it. Yeah, I f- I'd like to think that society is catching up to Prince. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, it's it's on my top five uh top five favorite movies ever. Purple Rain is also one of them. Graffiti Bridge. I will uh, <laughs> listen. That's. <laughs> that's for another time that's for that's for another conversation because i can even find things to appreciate about that movie but if you ever watch a concert film sign of the times if if you like that it's one of the best concert 
it's not officially a concert film, but it's it's really fantastic. So, like, that guy knew what he was doing a little bit. I had a ticket to see Sign of the Times on a 35 millimeter print last weekend, yes. and I had a meeting at the last minute and couldn't uh, go, and I'm oh, so no. bummed. It'll That's come sad. back, because it's in, like, the larger rotation, but fuck. Yeah, isn't it Quentin Tarantino's print? Yeah, of yeah, Sign? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he'll... I know that he's lent it to, like, Prince fans around the country, like, they drive and come to borrow it to bring it back to there wherever so um, yeah i'm sure it'll (laughs) i'm sure it'll come back around but it's really fantastic i recommend uh watching it i had it for years on like a i had to get like a japanese dvd of it because it was not available in the united states so i'm glad that it's out there and people can oh yeah it's on set of the times is on i think both peacock and tubi right now yes imminently accessible at the moment amazing (laughs) casey when this show gets a Patreon, and it will, and we get to do bonus content, and we do watching TV at the bar, you're coming back to talk about the Muppets Tonight episode with Prince with me. Oh, my God. I'll I'll tell you all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you about how my friend worked on that show, and I was like, call me every time you're by a phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring, it, bring me the intel. Like you're a fucking private eye. I love that. Yes. Um, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Instacase, you know, Insta, C-A-I-S, the first four letters of my name. I'm on Twitter at Casey. I'm on Facebook. If the Busy Phillips is doing her best, has like a Facebook group. That's where I'm the most active on, on that platform. But yeah, I'm around. And Busy Phillips is doing her best is on all of the major podcatchers it's just wherever you want to find a podcast you can find it there and it drops on wednesday mornings usually (laughs) barring disaster (laughs) (laughs) thomas where can people find you uh you can find me on twitter if you'd like to i'm at handsome underscore pal and we have uh an account for the show that is at movie bar pod bethy what about you and does the show have an instagram yeah so on Twitter, I'm at Bethy, B-S-Q-U. I was hacked. I am hacked no more. It's back <laughs> to being my Twitter. Thank goodness. And Instagram, I'm at Bethy Squires. And the show's Twitter is, no, the show's Instagram is at moviebar underscore pod. Great. Thank you all so much. All right. We'll see you all out there. <laughs> yeah, we will. Good night. Bonsoir, as they say in France. (laughs) Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. (laughs) 